Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to the Refresh from Insider. I'm Carrie Donahue. And I'm Rebecca Knight. It's Friday, November 4th, and we've got the latest news you need and want to know. Plus, we talked to one TV writer from the hit show The Office about what it was like being one of the only black writers in the room. And I was finding out that a lot of shows just didn't want to have diverse writer in their room. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what's the reason behind that? But first, here's the latest. A late-day rally put the markets in positive territory after a pretty mixed week. Investors seem to be wrestling with a stronger-than-expected monthly jobs report. The economy added 261,000 payrolls in October, which is good. But as insider's Matt Fox explains... Markets are kind of confused, is the best way to put it. Investors are still trying to determine whether good economic news is bad news or good news for the stock market. Year to date, we've had 4 million jobs added to the economy, which sounds like great news, but when the Fed is trying to tame inflation, when the Fed is trying to slow down the economy by aggressively raising interest rates, the Fed really wants to see some weakness materialize, and they're just not seeing that yet. So at first, the market was excited to see such a solid jobs number, but it gave up a lot of those gains once it realized that the Fed is probably gonna have to keep hiking interest rates. Twitter staff spent last night and this morning on edge, waiting to see if they still had a job or not. It's thought that around half of the social media platform's workforce is being cut by new owner Elon Musk. And many, of course, have tweeted about the way they were let go. Shona Ghosh is Insider's deputy editor on tech and careers. Shona, what on earth is happening? Yeah, it's, it's pretty chaotic. Um, sometime on Thursday, Elon Musk or Twitter leaders under Elon Musk notified people that, that some Twitter staffers would be terminated Friday, but it actually began happening a little earlier than anticipated. So a number of people overnight this morning woke up to find that they couldn't log into various work services, their email, their Slack, etc. had been cut off. But that's before, you know, formal memos had been sent out. So it is a bit of a bloodbath and I think poorly managed because ultimately all these people are now free to tweet lots of negative things about Musk, about the company that's just let them go in quite a brutal way. We've already had a class action lawsuit filed in the US by a group of employees who say, you know, we were laid off and not properly told and we think that's illegal. So where does this leave 
Twitter and Elon Musk going into the weekend and even next week and the weeks to come? I mean, in some ways, Musk is kind of doing this, I'll just burn down the forest and see what grows back. This is maybe why he's, on paper, the richest man in the world. He's willing to take bets that the rest of us kind of balk at. On the other side, it's hard to understand how cutting these teams is going to be good for the platform, how it's not going to terrify celebrities and advertisers. So I think it's a high-risk strategy for sure. Shona, thank you so much. No doubt we'll be hearing much more about this on the coming weeks and days and months. It's looking more and more like Donald Trump is going to run for president again in 2024. What makes me say that? Well, there's this from a rally last night in Iowa. I will very, very, very probably do it again, okay? And CNN says it's hearing from people close to the planning that an official announcement could come as soon as November 14th. Meanwhile, in the event the former president does announce, the DOJ is considering appointing a special counsel to oversee the two sprawling federal investigations against him. Need another sign that the economic outlook is worrisome? Well, Amazon says it's pausing all hiring in its corporate workforce. The company says the freeze will last at least the next few months, and it's largely because of growing concern over an impending recession. But it's also partly because the company has been on a hiring spree the last few years, and it says it needs to take a breather. It's that time of year again, daylight saving. I know, I know, I can't help but groan too. Early Sunday, most of us will set our clocks back one hour. So yeah, that means those dark, cold winter afternoons are just around the corner. In March, the Senate unanimously passed the Sunshine Protection Act, which would keep us on our current daylight saving time and put an end to all this madness. But the bill is stuck in the House. Part of the holdup is that some sleep experts say standard time is better for our body's internal clock, and lawmakers can't seem to agree on a solution. Well, the clock is ticking. Did you know you can share any of our segments on social media? Just look at the description section in your podcast app, and you'll see a little share link next to each story. It's super easy. Give it a try. A new package of sanctions against Russia goes into effect a month from now, and the U.S. and its allies have agreed on the terms for a price cap on Russian oil. You see, Europe is still dependent on some of Russia's supply, but of course the sales fund the war in Ukraine. So the price cap is a compromise. Essentially, the first time oil is sold on land or at sea, the cost will be capped at a price to be determined. But resales won't come under that rule. Russia has threatened to cut production if a cap is brought in, but U.S. officials say the country can't risk damaging a critical industry. When Kanye West, who now goes by Ye, wore a White Lives Matter shirt to a Paris Fashion Week event, a listener of a racial justice radio show decided to take action. The listener filed a trademark for the phrase, then transferred ownership to the show's two black hosts, Ramsey's Jaw and Quentin Ward. The idea is to prevent Kanye or anyone else from making money on the phrase by, say, selling T-shirts. The rapper's partnerships with Gap and other clothing brands have been axed because of his recent anti-Semitic comments. 
Sean Diddy Combs is making history in the cannabis industry. He's just bought Cresco Labs for $185 million. And if regulators approve the purchase, it'll be the first and largest Black-owned multi-state weed company. He'll now be able to grow, manufacture, and sell retail cannabis products in New York, Massachusetts, and Illinois. Diddy says his goal is to create opportunities for Black entrepreneurs in industries they've previously been denied. The federal government plans to help five Native American tribes relocate to avoid climate disasters. The program will fund rebuilding efforts for three communities in Alaska and two in Washington state, away from coastlines and rivers that may flood in coming years. The Coastal Macaw tribe, for example, will use just over $2 million to build a new health clinic on higher land. The program could be a model that other federal agencies follow to help at-risk communities. Would you want your business to be used as a battleground in a violent video game? Well, that's what one Amsterdam hotel is dealing with after it appeared without permission in the newest edition of the massively popular Call of Duty franchise. Now the Conservatorium Hotel is considering legal action against Activision Blizzard, the company behind the first-person shooter game. And it's not the only one. A museum that closely resembled LA's Getty Museum was also included in the beta version of the game, but mysteriously disappeared in the final release. Dave Smith is back from paternity leave. He's here a couple of days a week, and he left us this interview. And now a look into one man's career as a black TV writer, which he describes as a, quote, weird ass roller coaster. Anthony Q. Farrell was a writer and executive story editor on NBC's hit comedy, The Office. But after two seasons, he was laid off. And despite working for one of the greatest comedies ever, he was surprised at how difficult it was to find TV work afterwards. He's here to tell us his story, why he thinks his race played a role and where he is now. So, Anthony, you were a writer on The Office for two seasons, right? Season four and season five. So what were some of the highlights for you on a personal level? I remember my first day on set. Greg Daniels had this thing where he would have the writers always be on set. And so I got to be down there while he was directing Fun Run. And I remember just thinking, oh, it'd be kind of funny if Steve Carell said this. And I was like, Greg, what if Steve said this? And he was like, yeah, that's great. Go tell him. And I was like, what? (laughs) And I had like, Walk over to like Steve Carell and hi, Mr. Carell, I'm Anthony, um, one of the new writers. I was thinking of maybe we pitch you this joke and I pitched and he's like, oh, okay, great. And then, you know, he did the line and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm in. This is happening. <laughs> that must have been surreal. Yeah, it's just, I know it was a Hollywood dream, right? Like, you know, like as a kid growing up, like in Toronto and in the Caribbean, just wanting to one day be able to like make TV and stuff. That is so, so cool. So you said in your piece that you were hired as part of an NBC diversity program. So the office had two spots for writers of color and you got one of them. How did that program actually work? So like what they'll do is they'll offer these spots to writers of color to get them in on the ground floor and hopefully things work out and you get experience and you get to move on up. And the studios would pay for the writers so it wouldn't come out of the show's budget would just come out of like the studio's diversity fund Mm. do you have any thoughts on the program itself having been part of it it's like catch 22 that it's kind of like there are great things about it because i got the credit i use it to further my career but there are also parts of it that are just like difficult and there's also the stigma attached to it where it's like oh well you couldn't get a job on your own so obviously you're not as good a writer which is not the case because there are so many writers who are doing really well that use these programs to gain access 
that they wouldn't normally have because of the color of their skin or because of just the way the way things work. I mean, just reality, if you look at TV writers, most of the writers are white men. Like that's just who's been writing these shows for a long time. And right. So after season five, you were laid off with a number of others on the show. But you had some momentum coming off the office, but what happened? Yeah, it's one of those things where it was like I was leaving the office and I was kind of like in a good mood, but you'd have meetings. I had a lot of meetings and just it just didn't go anywhere to jobs. And some of the excuses I was getting was like, you know, we've, we've got a room full. We have less spots for writers right now. And so if you didn't really know someone, it was hard to kind of get into those spaces because they're always kind of giving them to people that, that they knew. And uh, it just took a little bit longer than I had expected. Sure. What other sorts of things did you do during that time while you were looking for more consistent income? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of stress. I finally got to a place where I could call myself a working writer and I'm in the business. And after like years of office jobs and hustling and grinding and doing stand up late at night and improv and sketch comedy and all kinds of stuff to get myself to a position where I was like set. Then all of a sudden I was no longer set. So I got a job teaching SAT prep with Kaplan. I got a job at Macy's slanging them shirts and ties. <laughs> it was it was like one of those things where it was like, I thought I had something. It wasn't what I thought it was. It was the world was not what I thought it was going to be after that first job. But it was just kind of like, all right, time to pivot and figure things out. You know, you said that being Black absolutely had something to do with your difficulty finding other writing jobs after the show. Could you elaborate? Yeah, it's one of those things where I just, you think to yourself, oh, if someone's giving you a free writer, to be on your show, you would take that writer. And I was finding out that a lot of shows just didn't want to have a diverse writer in their room. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what's the reason behind that? If someone's saying, here's another person who's really talented, who's really good, they will help you make your show, give you experience and a point of view and perspective and all those things. And you're like, uh, we'd rather not have them here. Like, they were afraid that having a writer of color in their room meant there are going to be consequences and they were going to have to like mind their P's and Q's and be afraid of what they're saying. And so, yeah, it wasn't just me. It was a lot of writers who were, because they're people of color, they weren't invited into those spaces and places. And it was just like, it was very clear to me that that was the case. Well, I think it says more about them than it says about you for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you did manage to get back into entertainment through a friend. So let's talk about what you're doing now. So you're show running a couple of different shows. How does that feel for you, especially compared to your early days as a writer on The Office? It is so great to be able to kind of do for other writers what Greg and those other writers did for me, like be a mentor. And one of my biggest things right now is trying to, now that I'm back in Canada, help the Canadian television industry find ways to incorporate more creative voices of color and to uh, have writers be a bigger part in their own stories and just be a part of the process. That's great. So Anthony, what's your advice for people, especially people of color who are trying to make their way in the television industry? You know, it's one of those things where you can't do it alone. Find people who are like-minded, who hustle like you, who work hard like you, who want to do sort of similar things, figure out ways to lift each other up, find ways to help each other. I feel like a lot of times people see this as a competition it's really more about the teamwork like if you can if you can figure out ways to, to help someone else get up and they'll help you get up too and it just push together that's great anthony thank you so much for chatting my pleasure thanks for having me anthony q farrell is a showrunner writer and executive producer
Make sure to follow the Refresh from Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please leave us a rating and review. It helps other people discover the show. The Refresh from Insider is produced by Grace Eliza Goodwin, Frank Alito, Dan Gooding, Rob Gunther, Rebecca Ibarra, and Dave Smith. I'm Rebecca Knight. And I'm Carrie Donahue, the executive producer. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend.